Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. 1994. Let's flash back for those who were around in 1994 what life was like. This is pre-cell phone, kind of internet. And Remember that sound, right? Long time ago. I mean, I can't, this is ages ago. An 18-year-old Jason gets with my friend. We pack our cars, and I headed off for my first day at college. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I had no clue. I knew I, I had school. I was in North Chicago, um, the land of the Cubs and the Bears, and I still survived to make it, right? Because everyone knows it's a terrible sports town. But I, uh, so here we are. I, I get into my car. I drive in, and I learned something very quickly. It's this term called tolls. Tolls. So I get into, now this is before the iPass existed, so you had to have, we had paper money. So I'd go to there, and I would, we had to stop, and then you'd have to pay to drive on the street. This is the weirdest concept for me. And then the next thing happened is I'm in my car and we're driving. I get off at the, my, where I had to go. And if you didn't have the big tolls, there were these little like buckets that had, and they'd have like these machines and you'd have to have the exact change to put in. If you guys know what I'm talking about and remember those days, you have to have exact change uh, to put in to get off the toll or a little light went off. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many times I didn't do that in my career, in my college days, but uh, I, I had to have correct change. I didn't know about this. They didn't tell me this when I went down to school that I have extra money, but that's okay. We'll move on. I'm at school. So we get there, and it's a big campus, and I'm like, I don't know where to go or what to do. And so I'm looking around. We see signs that directs us to new student orientation. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I've arrived. Everything's good. I get in line, and I start going through, and there's like tables going throughout the gym. And so I stop at the first table, and I get my name and my information, they've got a packet for me. I'm like, okay, I'm growing up, I've made it, I'm an adult, and I move and I have to pick classes. I'm like, oh, I have to go to class while I'm here? Okay, I guess I'll do that too. And, and I get my classes all picked out. I'm like, this is awesome, and there's so much energy in the room, and I'm moving around, oh, now there's activities. This is how to get plugged in. I'm like, this is like summer camp for college kids. This is gonna be the greatest four years of my life, and I get to the end table where this smiling lady says, okay, what's your name? I said, my name is Jason Montano. She hands me a sheet and says, this is how much you owe us. <laughs> and I took a look at the sheet, and I said, well, <laughs> excuse me, ma'am, um, I have some grants and scholarships that cover my tuition. She says, yes, this is what's left over on your balance. And so I sat there at the table. Now, I went to school with nothing. I with nothing. I, I didn't have a dime in my pocket. I had made a little bit of summer money, but I didn't have any money. And I was on the assumption that the scholarship, I was on an athletic scholarship, would cover it, and I would have everything great. All of this excitement to you owe us thousands of dollars. And I sat there, and <laughs> I just teared up. I said, I don't have it. And we don't have it. My family doesn't have it. She's like, I'm so sorry to hear that. You have two weeks to figure it out. And so I took my form, and I'm like, my heart's broken. I'm like, okay, take a breath. 
we're going to figure this out. I go to my dorm room, get to my dorm room. Oh, hey, there's guys in there. Okay, fun begins again. Nice to meet you. I'm Jason, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we have to go to the bookstore to go get books. Awesome. Books are going to be not that expensive, right? <laughs> I go through the line. I get the required materials. I grab my books. I put them on the counter. They say, that would be $853, please. I said, I don't have that. And then said, then you don't have books. I left the books on the counter, teary-eyed, broken, once again. I have no idea how I'm going to make it. So here I am in school with no money, not really registered because I haven't paid what I owe. I don't have my books. I have two weeks to figure this out. But I go to my mailbox. I open my mailbox, and there was like a light beam coming from my mailbox. I could not believe what was happening. God has answered my prayers. This amazing credit card company is going to help me. <laughs> All I have to do, 25% APR. I don't know what that means. They're going to give me money, and this is awesome. And so I can buy my books. I can put tuition on it. I have everything figured out. I don't know what anything else means. We're just going to use this credit card. So I use the credit card, and I get my books. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm in class. But then this, I don't know, it's so silly to me. They wanted their money back. So Jason at 18 was not very good financially. Now, if you're here at Mosaic, like, Wow, this is the guy, and this is the church we give money to. Uh, we need to have a conversation. I've grown since then, okay? 25% APR. And they want their money back with a whole lot more. And now the terror starts to fill me again. I can't pay this back. I, I had an on-campus job making like $4.75 an hour um, and making like no money at all. And so here I'm earning like 20 bucks and I don't have it, and that fear and dread stayed with me for four years of college. Four years, I'd always go up to that end line, and I would like go around and register, and I'd go up to the lady, and like she could see we've had a relationship here. Jason's probably going to start crying again. Um, and we would get to that end line, and I'm like, what is the damage this time? And I'd get that bill. And I had never really thought about this before. 18-year-old Jason gets in a car. I'm so excited. I'm ready for the adventure. I get into this car. I'm learning that I have to pay to drive on the streets. I'm learning I have to pay to get off the streets. I'm learning I have to pay to go to college more than I thought. I'm learning that you have to pay to buy books that I don't even really want to read. Pay, 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 pay. And here I am, the recipient of how am I going to make this happen? It's terrifying, and maybe you, you have a story like that or can connect to that in some way where there was something that you didn't really process through. What is this going to cost for me to get this? Sometimes it's our cars, right? We'll go and buy an awesome car, and they'll say, hey, all you got to do is put this much down, and you're like, okay, no problem, and then you get into that beautiful car, and now you have to pay that huge amount for five years, and you're like, why did I buy this car? Or probably more frequently this especially to our younger people. You walk in to get a mortgage, and they say, oh, you've been pre-approved for $400,000. And you're like, this is sweet. Let's buy a $400,000 home. And then you, buy, you get that mortgage, and you don't understand that that's way out of your league. And when those bills start coming, 
you now are completely house poor, which means all your money is going into your home. Like, we don't even have money to breathe because we didn't really think about what this meant for us in the long term. And if you don't have a story like that, you're way smarter than me because that's my stories. And we learn, right? We learn and we grow. And one of the things we learn as we grow is this. We need to consider and count the costs of what it's going to take for what we're about to do. That's what we would call wisdom. We gain wisdom. Information, there's no generation that's had more information given. We have information everywhere, right? Information overload, but wisdom lacking. Wisdom is the ability to use information in the way which is proper. Wisdom is a way in which we find and search and look for what is wise. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. And oftentimes, it just comes through experience. And we're going to explore this concept today. But it's not about tuition, it's not about money or interest rates or school loans or car loans or mortgages. Jesus actually addresses this idea. But this might come as a bit of a shock to you. The shock is this, that when Jesus starts talking about counting costs, he's saying, I want you to count the costs of what it means to follow me. And that's different. Because in our American culture, we see church and following Jesus as an accessible thing in which I simply go to and walk away from. I'm engaged when I want, I step away. In, in our terminologies and what we often think in our American culture, it's a worldwide as well, is that Jesus is easily accessible when I want him and when I don't want him, I can walk away and it means nothing or it means a little. Or when tragedy comes, I say, God, where are you? Please help me. And then when everything is great, everything's wonderful, we're like, Jesus, I'm going to put you on the side burner for a while because life's good. It's my time to party. But Jesus gives us a completely different concept in two parables that he shares as we continue our series in Kingdom Parables. And this idea of kingdom, if you're new to our story or into what we've been sharing on, the kingdom of God lives in an opposite direction of the kingdom of humans. Jesus' teaching is saying, in, in my world, if you say, in God's kingdom, the way I do things, in my kingdom, in the way of God, it looks very different than the way that you guys are doing things. And so Jesus said, I have come to bring God's kingdom or his way of things, doing things to earth, to you. And so the kingdom of God is always flipping upside down our ideas. And Jesus does it once again. And today is going to be your concept of following him. Because if you're in a crowd watching either here or online or have been in the church world for a while, or maybe if you're new to church, depending on your story, it's easy for us to watch from a distance and look for Jesus for the things that we want or the things that benefit us. But if we don't consider the cost of following him, you're going to be, end up at the end broken. You're going to end up at the end with nothing. So let's, we're going to dig into our scripture today. Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. If you have your Bible apps with you or your Bibles, uh, we'll be showing it on the screen as well. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Uh, this is an account of what Jesus says to this crowd that's following him. It says this, 25. Large crowds were, were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother or his father, happy Father's Day, right? To hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it 
will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. We pick up the story with Jesus having large crowds following him. His popularity is growing. Uh, his popularity, word of mouth is spreading, right? Everybody's talking, and, and who is this Jesus? So he has got this huge fan following of people who are coming out of the woodworks, just walking to be around him as he's traveling from town to town, and these crowds would come in droves. And the crowd is, they're not different. I mean, sometimes we think in different cultures that somehow they aren't human with human feelings. We talk about older cultures, right? They are just like us. Just like if something big was happening in Washington County, you'd have droves of people coming. So let's think about this. Jesus has this crowd, huge crowd. There are people who are there to listen to Jesus and really, really want to learn what he is saying. So they are leaning in. They're like, this is a rabbi like we have never heard before. This is a Jewish teacher who is teaching things of God that we just are hungry for. Tell us more. But in the crowd, there would be people who are just there like, what is this dude doing? Curiosity, I heard about him. I don't believe in him. I don't know what's going on. He teaches weird things. But I heard stuff, so he's in town, so I'm just going to go check him out. They'll be there because some friend dragged him along. Dude, you got to come hear this Jesus. I was here last week. I heard him. You got to come check him out. It's amazing what he does. And so you got the friend who's there whose arm is crossed like this, like, I don't know, man. I'm not sure I really want to deal with all this stuff right now. I got a good life. You know, my donkey sales is great. I'm cool, right? <laughs> then there are some people who are there to get something from Jesus. Hey, we heard this guy, uh, like, heals people. Like, he can touch people, and they're healed. He can do miraculous things. I saw my, this one time he brought their friends, and he touched them, and then they were healed from their sickness, and I just want to be healed. So you've got this huge crowd of people who are all sick, injured, emotionally broken, scared. You've got people who are curious. You've got people who are hungry to learn. You've got a mixed bag of crowd. You have a Sunday gathering at any American church, right? What's the difference between that crowd and our crowd today? You're here for different reasons. You've got different thoughts. Your religious background said, if I go to church, God's not mad at me, so I better go to church on Sunday. Some of us are like, I really want to learn and grow. Some people are like, I'm not quite sure. I'm curious. These are real humans in real time, guys. And that's cool because Jesus never said, you all need to go away. I only want the ones who are serious to be here. He never said that. In fact, what he does is something so astronomically different that it makes us as a people in 2022 scratch our head because he did something that no American pastor would ever do today. He thinned out his crowd. He says, I want to shrink my church right now. If you're in the church world, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. In the church world, the American church has gone through a phase of superstar pastors. We see these guys on TV. We see them in podcasts. They write books. They really are superstars. They travel all over the place. They get like $50,000 to speak for 30 minutes. You know, they are big, huge Christian deals. And this is how pastors measure success. I've been doing ministry for 20 years now. This is how we measure success. We get into a room of people, and, you know, we're all pastors in the room or whatever. Inevitably, the conversation comes up. So 
Uh, it looks, looks like this. So Jason, you're, you're a church planner. I'm like, yeah, church planner, that's great, yeah. Where are you at? Oh, we're in Slinger, Wisconsin. You know, next question, where's Slinger? Right, gotcha, I got that. I grew up in Milwaukee, I didn't know where it was either. Um, so Slinger, Wisconsin, okay, great. How big is your church? The word, how big is your church, has been spoken to me more times by pastors than do you love Jesus? How big is your church? Now, this is the, in my world of ministry, this is the smallest church that I have been involved with. I've come from a huge mega church in Racine. We were just under 2,000 people where I did ministry. Came from a church that's kind of middle-sized. And now as a church planner, we're in a church of this size. And this is what I've, now in these different phases, frustrates me more than anything because though we don't say it, it's true. We believe if you're in a big church, you are very good at your job. We believe you're a better pastor, you're a better strategist, you're a better CEO, you are a better speaker, because if you're a good speaker, everybody's going to come to listen to you. We believe, and if you, inside you're like, oh, I kind of do believe that, you, it's okay, because everybody does, because inside of me, I sometimes feel that tension. I'm like, how come we aren't 2,000 people in Slinger? We got this great message, we're doing this, am I a failure? Because this has been drilled into me by American culture and American pastordom, but Jesus, when you look at the word, is the complete opposite. The absolute opposite of what he does is says, it's my job to speak the word of God to you, not entertain you and get you all to follow me. And so as an American church pastor in the year 2022, we are idolizing celebrity pastors to a place in which we say, that is a good, if we could get that pastor to come and speak, because he's better than the one in my church, because my church is only 30 people. We're only 40 people. So we put this all together, we start to ask this question, what did Jesus say about following him? And that's the tension that we've been living in. So let me be clear, I'm not anti-big church. I love, I love churches, I love churches of all size. I love churches of all size. I'm going to say this to you right now. I am unapologetically following Jesus Christ and saying, I don't care about that anymore. And we don't call it church on Sundays. We call it Sunday gatherings. And post-COVID, you should see the people whose egos were filled by how many people come to listen to them to speak because the crowd's thinned. COVID changed everything. So now all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, I've got 900 people in my church. Or I got 2,000. Or, and then the little church would be like, yeah, we just have 50. But what you don't know about that church that just 50 is he lives in a town of 200 people. And that rural pastor is out there grinding hard with all these really hurting people, and he has 25% of his community who he is ministering to and loving on. So our numbers and the way we think things are so skewed because we see church as a company and your pastor as your CEO. Jesus says something that's so offensive to our culture right now, and he calls pastors to be shepherds and teachers of the word of God. That's our job. And I am proud to say that Mosaic is part of a movement that's shifting across America, that there is an underground movement of churches saying, go back to what we were called to be. We were called to be shepherds and lovers of people. We are supposed to invest in our community, love our community, give to the poor, help widows, and do the stuff Jesus said, and let's stop doing the other junk. And there's a movement. Thank you. There's a movement. There's a movement that gets me so excited because when I sit down with a group of pastors and they say, how many people go to your church? I love my response. I don't know. <laughs> they say, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. 
I don't know, because Sunday attendance, it depends what day it is. If I give away a free car, I'll have 2,000 people here. I don't know. How many people are attending every, I don't know. Somebody counts them. I don't look at them. I don't know. How many people are in our database? Lots of people. Do they all come? I don't know. Because that's not my job. My job is to be faithful to the calling of God. And as a church family, that's who we are. Because when I read the words of Jesus, guys, I want you to hear this as you're leading your pastor. I'm very, very serious about those red words in the Bible, which were Jesus' teachings. Because he says, if you love me, you obey my commands. And he says something huge in this passage. Jesus should never write a church growth book. Because to this crowd who was here, he didn't say, leave if you don't fit me. Maybe that's your church experience. Leave if you aren't religious enough. Leave if you don't give enough. Leave if you aren't holy enough. Leave if you don't like what I'm talking about. He says this, I'm just going to tell you what it costs to be a disciple of mine. And I want you, I hope, I pray, my father, that you would stay and take this. Because he's come to seek and save the lost. So now, Jesus does something so astronomically, gives us two very simple little parables that are so easy for us to be able to grasp and hold on to. He says, think of this. If you were going to start building a tower, interesting, he uses the word tower. Tower is a huge, monstrous building. It's going to be a staple in the community. Everybody's going to see this thing. It's not like a small hut. This is something that's going to be well seen, and it would be a marker for the community. And so he says, okay, think of this. If you go to start building this tower and you lay the foundation and you start getting this thing going, but you don't have enough money to finish it, don't you think everyone's going to make fun of you because you started to build this monstrous, super expensive house and you couldn't even finish it? Let's put it in our terminologies. You start building a home. We're going to buy a home. You bought the land. You start building it. You never crunched the numbers. You never thought about what's it going to cost for us to actually finish this building. And so as you do this, you're in this, this building's being built. And you're like, I'm only a quarter of the way done. We ran out of finances. Um, sorry, we don't have a building. He says, how foolish is this that you haven't actually thought through or considered the cost of following me? And he says this, I love this next part. I want you guys to think about this. You have a king who's about to go out to war. And this king sits down and there's a, there's a war about to happen. Now, we've got Pentagons, we've got uh, CIAs, we've got all this intelligence, and they've got all, in America, we've got all these people talking about what's the cost going to be for us to go to war. Uh, the cost is we pay more taxes. That's the answer. So, you caught the cost. So, they sit down and say, do we have enough troops? Do we have enough supplies? Do we have enough weapons? What do we have? And this king's like, I don't know. Just send whoever you want. It doesn't really matter. And so this king sends out, and the guy's like, okay. And so they send out not enough troops. And if not enough troops go out, think about this. When the troops go out, and let's say they're decimated, that now leaves the entire city open to get overrun. So now their troops are destroyed. This other group comes in, wipes through, and now they are conquered. He says, in the same way as this, if you are not willing to actually put yourself in a place of counting the cost of following me, first of all, you're not going to be able to finish. You start a building but can't finish. You are going to start a flame or a foundation of following Jesus that's not going to be completed. You are going to stop because it's going to get so hard and so uncomfortable, you're going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Or in the same way, you're going to say, I want to follow Jesus. 
I want to be a disciple of his. And you go into this, but you're not considering what you have to give up to actually follow Christ. So as you're saying, ah, I don't really want to give up everything just a little bit, you get decimated. And as your life starts crumbling, you take your fist, you shake it at God and say, see God, you don't love me. Jesus is like, dude, you are so missing the kingdom of God right here. And even worse than all this, even worse to the listeners of the time, he says, you don't even hate your own family. Turn against your family. If you don't denounce your name. Now, in their time, to denounce your family heritage in your name was everything. Your name was everything. So if you are not willing to turn away from the most beloved things in your life, if you're willing, get this, this is huge for our culture, to turn away from what your identity is. I am fill in the blank. Their identity was their family heritage. Your identity is Jesus Christ and a disciple of his. You're not a race. You're not a sexual orientation. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not rich. You are not poor. You are not inslinger, out of slinger. Inslinger, you're lucky. If you're not inslinger, out of slinger. That's not your identity. Your identity is a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to put those things on, you can't follow me. And there's a reason you can't follow me. He's not just doing this to be mean. He is telling you the truth. The truth is this. To follow him will cost you everything. Everything. It'll cost you your hopes, your dreams, and your future. It'll cost you what you feel is best for you. It'll cost you your own heart. It will cost you your own retirement. It'll cost in whatever you're holding on to with two hands, it's going to cost you everything. And there's a reason why. Because what we want is not good. What we want is tainted. In Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, we see sin entering into the world. And as sin enters, we are now all messed up and we are all riddled with sin. And Jesus is offering that crowd and this crowd today something very special. Following Jesus isn't the negative and giving your life and turning these things aren't negative. He says, I want you to consider, if you want to follow me, I'm not here to make you rich. Pastors on TV will, will say this. Follow Jesus and you will be rich. I've been following Jesus for a long time and I'm broke. So either I'm doing something wrong or it's not true. Follow me and give your life up for me. Jesus didn't say, hey crowd, if you follow me, you're never going to get cancer. You're never going to get sick. If you follow me, no one's going to die in your family ever. And he didn't say, follow me and you're going to live to the ripe old age of whatever number you want. He said, follow me, give me your life and trust me. And I can tell you in my season of life where I'm in right now, we are going through hard. And as we go through hard, the only thing I have is that I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got nothing else. There are days in brokenness where I rest on the fact that because I'm a disciple of Christ, I say, God, I hate everything I'm going through. I hate the pain, but I trust you. And this is the time in which if I had not caught the costs, I would have walked away. Maybe you've been there, friends. Maybe you are there. Maybe you're wrestling with this. Maybe you've never thought about what it costs to follow Jesus Christ. And this is why he does this. This is the beautiful picture, guys. Don't hear the negative. I want you to hear the beautiful positive. Is that when we do this, Christ starts to transform you and chisel out the sin of your life. If you are not willing to step to the table 
of a disciple of Jesus and learn his ways, he does not force his way into your life. He walks with you and he asks you to offer them to him. So as a disciple, it doesn't make much sense. If I'm following him and I keep holding on to my ways of doing things, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay the huge flaming mess that I am. If I don't grow when I was 18 years old, I would be bankrupt right now with the way I thought about finances. But because I learned and growed from 18 to my age now of mid-40s, we have zero credit card debt because I learned APR is of the devil. (laughs) I've learned to live within our means. I've learned not to take out high-interest loans. I've learned and grown in my finances in the same way with following Jesus Christ You need to count the cost, friends. You have to be willing to open your hands to have God chisel out and make you into his grand masterpiece. This is the beauty of Jesus' message saying his parable. In the beginning, he said, he made us that it's good. We brought sin in and created a problem. Jesus now says this, I have an answer for you, but you've got to follow me because when you follow me, it's going to hurt It's going to hurt a lot. You are not going to like this. This is a terrible service for some people, right? Imagine the crowd. It's going to hurt. I have to give up stuff, and I can't do what I want. I can imagine the people saying, I'm out of here. The crowd starts thinning, and the people who are still there said, no, we want this, Jesus. Tell us. Tell us how to do this. And he says this, you've got to allow me to create in you the masterpiece you are by chiseling out everything of your life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso, it's like, (laughs) but I wanna be his masterpiece. I wanna be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? (sighs) Yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. (laughs) Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up, here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? 
I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Oh, the platypus. All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it, you never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty 
wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I wanna be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid but you chisel away, just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me, 
and use me then. God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father discipline his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. In 1993, I sat in a large room of a youth camp. The speaker got on the stage and, and he started to talk. I wasn't really listening. But something caught my attention that day. I was a junior in high school and the, per, the pastor up there said something I, I never forgot and never will forget. He said, I don't know where you guys are on your journey, but I'm going to offer you the scariest prayer you could ever give in your life. God, I give you my entire life. Amen. That day I prayed that prayer. And I'm here today because of it. Friends, you are an original masterpiece, but to follow him, it's going to cost you everything. Have you considered the cost? And are you willing to pray that prayer today? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.